Aren't you thankful for the presence of the Lord? Isn't God good? God is good. And all the time, he's faithful. Thank you, Nate, for that song. I, just, I could just listen to him all day long. But what a great reminder for us of why we're here today. Fill us, Lord. Let our ears be open to hear. Let our hearts be open to receive your word. And I'm thankful for the word. I'm thankful for Pastor Ed's invitation to do this. Um, my being here is not an example of my passion and heart for doing this. My being here is my passion for sharing the truth of Christ, yes, but this is my willing to be obedient. If God is calling you to be obedient that takes you out of your comfort zone, you better be obedient, right? If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. We've been in this series now of discussing the fruit of the Spirit. And we're continuing that series today titled Lego Life, focusing on the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5.22, we read, but the fruit of the Spirit, and let's say it out loud, we should know it by now, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Self-control. Now, when the series started, Pastor Ed shared with us the fact that it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. The word is actually a singular noun. And we oftentimes look at these gifts individually, but we need to see them collectively because when we're living by the Spirit, the evidence of that life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Self-control, because this is what the life that God has called us to live looks like. It's the evidence that we are in the place that God has called each of us to live. Now, the fruit of the Spirit are not isolated character traits. This isn't a buffet where you can walk along and pick and choose the ones that seem to come easiest for you and, or the ones that are needed in the moment so that we can convince someone else that we're filled with the Spirit. But this is a package deal, right? It's a package deal because these are the very attributes of Christ. The very attributes that allow each of us the opportunity to have the promise of eternal life. Our lives are to be a reflection of these qualities in increasing measure. So it's not like, okay, I've got love, I'm good, now I'm going to move on to the next one. Okay, I've got joy, I'm good, now I'm going to move on to the next one. Each of these in increasing measure. And as we've learned in the previous weeks, we find that these attributes are built upon one another, yet they all connect. You can't have joy without understanding love, and you can't have peace without knowing the source of real joy. And patience, of course, is impossible if you don't have the evidence of the peace that God in your heart that passes all understanding. And so today we focus on kindness. How many of you consider yourself to be kind? right? Seems like a nice enough word, but and kindness doesn't seem to be one of the most intriguing of the fruit of the Spirit. You know, we've got love, joy, peace. They seem to have a little more bite to them. And at face value, kindness may seem a little, a little weak. It's almost like God wants us to be Mr. Rogers wearing a sweater vest, walking around, telling everyone what a great day it is in the neighborhood, right? But I think that's oftentimes because we associate kindness with niceness. 
And so today we're not talking about being nice or a shallow politeness that doesn't cost us anything because that's not biblical kindness. It is a kindness based on an inside out kind of love. It comes from an engagement with the Lord. And this is what the Bible was talking about in Ephesians 4 when Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So none of us are nice enough to rely simply on being nice. And I don't want to be nice, but I do want to be aggressively kind. I don't want to be just polite, but I want to be abundantly generous because Jesus has been abundantly generous to me. He has set us free from the death wish of hell. He's given us his love and his grace. And in Titus 3, 4, and 5, we read, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Amen? Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Isn't the gospel incredible? Isn't it incredible that our God isn't nice, but that he's aggressively kind? Because a polite God that sits back to wait to be nice and kind to his people when it's convenient to him and doesn't cost him anything is a death wish for you and me. But our God is not like that. Our God gets off the throne. Our God seeks us out. Our God goes to death, even death on the cross, to redeem sinners like us, to seat us at the table as sons and daughters of a king. And the only response other than receiving it with great joy is to mirror it in the world just as Jesus did, to look out and say, who am I to show aggressive kindness to today? Who am I to seek out, to find, to invest in, not just with niceties, but with kindness, the kindness that can only come from the Lord? We've all experienced kindness in some fashion over our lives. I'm sure that many of you can testify to the faithfulness of God and how he showed up at just the right time using just the right person. It may not have looked like how we imagined, but looking back, we can see that God was at work. How many of you can say amen to that, that that's, that's been evident in my life? I'm so glad to be able to say today that my parents are watching us online uh, via Facebook Live and streaming, so we all say, welcome, Mom and Dad, right? I haven't seen my parents in a little over a year. They live in Washington State. But my mom has prayed for me every single day of my life, and I'm standing here today a recipient of the grace of God and His faithfulness because of a praying mom, and for that I'm thankful. And a, and a father who loves me and who demonstrated to me the value of what it means to love a wife and to live for God and to serve and to have a heart filled with kindness. I don't know anyone that demonstrates the loving kindness of God more than my parents. My entire childhood was filled with moments of creating value for other people. It was never about us. The selfless commitment that they had to improving other people's lives not because there was any reward or any recognition. And I truly believe that only eternity will reveal the full impact of their kindness. I remember loading up our 1971 Volkswagen van with groceries and taking those around. In 1971, a Volkswagen van was not cool. Now it is. 
But we would load that thing up with groceries. We would bless people. We would have people that would come and live with us and stay with us, that they would help. People that would, on the surface, be rejected by society and set aside because of seemingly no value. But my parents saw that and demonstrated that loving kindness of Christ. I want to share a quick story about some kindness that Sean and I experienced just a few years back. Sean and I love to ride our motorcycle, and uh, we've taken long trips together. In fact, on one particular trip, we experienced kindness in a very, very unique way. And there we are getting ready to go on. This is the trip that we were going on that I'm sharing this story about. Now, Sean is the passenger. It was her job to be responsible to make sure that we had enough fuel to make it to the next gas station. Isn't that the wife's job, right, to make sure you have enough gas in the gas tank? Well, I'm not sure what happened. I'm guessing she got distracted or something, but that sound of the engine cutting out and eventually dying is the thing that those who ride motorcycles fear because we're out of gas. And here's why we feared. It's not because we're so much run out of gas, but you try to shake the bike side to side because every inch you make it further is one less inch you have to push. It was my responsibility. I'll confess. It was, I, I'm the one who let us run out of gas. I thought we could make it to... How many of you know you just pushed that? You just, it's four miles. I got four miles. Well, we were on the interstate, and the nearest gas station was... Uh, few miles away. We didn't have AAA at the time, and I figured the only thing we could do was to walk to the next exit and find a gas station, so didn't want to leave the bike there alone. So we did rock, paper, scissors to see who was going to walk to the gas station. But before we could finish the game, a semi-truck pulls into the, pulls onto the shoulder and begins slowing down and approaches us. Now, this was an old beat-up semi-truck. I was a little concerned. You see the movies, the thoughts go through your head. So I said, John, just stay here. I walked back, a little apprehensive, but I opened the door and I told the guy that we ran out of gas and that it would be great if we could get a ride to the next exit. And I figured I would just hop off and he would be on his way. And he motioned to me, yes. And I, so I jumped in. I quickly learned that he knew very little English. So I started getting even more nervous. So I started texting Sean, and I told her what was happening. Now, you wonder, why didn't she go with me? Well, it's a semi-truck. There were only two seats, and I can't leave my motorcycle alone on the interstate, right? That's a whole other story that I've apologized for many times. But I'd hopped in the truck, so I started texting her what was happening, and I, I told her I was getting a ride from this, you know, about this good submit. But I, I did just send, I sent her this picture just in case I needed evidence, right? And so I send that picture, and um, as we were going along, we drove a few miles, and I sent this next picture to her as well to share with her my concern. <laughs> because I didn't know what was ahead for me. So anyways, I was going to just jump out at the next exit, and I figured that I had inconvenienced him enough, but he still wanted to help. So we got gas, and we drove back, and it's not just a quick trip in a semi-truck, because we had to drive all the way back to the next exit, do a complete U-turn, drive all the way back to the, to the bike where she was at with the gas can. I took a picture of the outside of the truck just so I could thank him and let the company know 
what a great employee they had. And so if anybody's watching that works at Ace Transport of Miami, thank you for your kindness. I had no cash, I had nothing to offer, and he wanted nothing. But he had one mission. And what was that mission? Kindness. Isn't that amazing? We couldn't communicate, we couldn't speak, but the one thing he could do was to take time out of his day to help us stranded along the side of the road. Isn't God good? Isn't God faithful? <clears throat> Let's look at the payoff for kindness. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7, and you have this on the back of your program, on the back of your little bulletin there, and let's read this together. For this reason, make every effort to add virtue to your faith, and to your virtue, knowledge, and to your knowledge, self-control, and to your self-control, patience, and patient endurance, and to your patient endurance, godliness, and to your godliness, brotherly kindness, and to your brotherly kindness, love. What Peter is doing here is calling us to a, a holy dissatisfaction with our present situation. And you can feel the momentum building as he is encouraging us to pursue God's best. It's the coach that's motivating us to win. You can hear Peter saying, forward, forward, press on, advance. So the key is asking ourselves the question, are we making every effort to be kind? And that's the question we need to ask ourselves. Am I making every effort to be kind? So number one, kindness energizes us in the journey. 2 Peter 1.8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The key here is increasing measure. Because living things grow. So what are you doing to develop kindness? They say that experience is the greatest teacher, so... Be kind, right? There's no greater motivator than to see the value that is added to someone's life because you chose to be kind. I've never been kind to someone and then walked away discouraged. I've walked away learning lessons, but I haven't walked away discouraged. Let me share with you, I, my first position in ministry full-time was as a youth pastor as well as music. And I remember sitting in my office one day, and I had just started just, uh, just a few weeks previous that, and I was the only one there. It was just me and a senior pastor. It was a very small church in Emporia, Kansas. How many of you have heard of Emporia, Kansas? All right, well, good. Um, and I was sitting there, and the, the, the secretary that was there said, there's some folks that need to speak with a pastor. I said, well, that's me. I'm a pastor now, right? So they walk in my office. There were three or four of them. And... They sit down, and I, have a, I had a window in the, in the office that looked out over a, a grassy field that we had, and they sit down, and the first thing they did was reprimand me on the fact that that field wasn't filled with vegetables and fruit trees for the less fortunate. So I sat there, and I thought, wow, I hadn't, hadn't thought about planting cucumbers out there, but I guess, I guess we could. They went on to share about how they had needs and that they had no money and that they had no food. And so I thought, you know, now is my moment. I'm going to be the hands and feet of God. And I reached in my wallet. I happened to have two 20s. I gave them that feeling like I was on top of the world. I'm the kindest person that there is. However, a little bit later, I had a friend who was meeting me for lunch. We chose to go to the Golden Corral, which is a buffet. We get in line. I'm talking to him in the line. It's a serpentine line. I see up ahead of me 
about 11, 12 people ahead of me, guess who I see? The folks that were in my office needing money because they had no food. I thought I was feeding them for a week. I didn't realize I was just feeding them lunch. I thought, are you serious? And so in my mind, in my flesh, I wanted to say, all right, I'm, I'm out. I'm done. But guess what? The lesson I learned was that I'm not only responsible, I'm, I'm not only responsible to obedience. I'm, res I'm, not res I'm not responsible. I'm only responsible to be obedient. That's all that I'm responsible for. I'm not responsible for what they do with my kindness. Does that make sense? I'm only responsible to be obedient. You aren't doing someone a favor by being kind. You're being who God has called you to be. Remember the fruit of your life is a reflection of your source. You aren't responsible even for the ability to be kind. You're just responsible to be kind. Number two, kindness provides vision for our steps. 2 Peter 1.9, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So the grace and the mercy that is extended to us daily reminds us that we are to be kind. We don't deserve God's kindness, and we never will. In a few moments, we will be remembering God's love and sacrifice as we partake in communion together. He said, Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me, because Jesus knew that the further we get away from the cross, the greater the chance that we would forget what he has saved us from. We find that all throughout the Old Testament, right? Jesus miraculously saves, delivers. It's not but just a few verses later that says, and they're back in their old ways again. This do in remembrance of me. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Read Colossians 3, 12 through 13. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. And if any of you has a grievance against someone, do what? Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Titus 3, 5 through 7. But when the kindness and love of God and Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Amen? He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. I'm thankful for God's word. I'm thankful that God's word clarifies to us point number two, which says very clearly, kindness provides vision for our steps. And that's because of what God has done for us on the cross. Number three, kindness keeps us from stumbling. 2 Peter 1.10, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Because being kind helps keep, us, helps keep perspective. We become increasingly grateful for what God has done for us when we see God using us. So let's read Galatians 5, 16 through 18. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. We set ourselves up for failure by walking away from opportunities to demonstrate kindness. It's easy for us to get our eyes on our circumstances and off of our source. 
we begin to react based on our experiences and feel somehow validated in our selfishness because we feel like we've been wronged. I can't be who I should be because you aren't who I want you to be. We often justify how kind we are based on how people are to us. We like to play the blame game. How can I be nice to them when they're not nice to me? And it's interesting because we find this as a, an immediate direct result of sin. In the very beginning of the Bible, when caught in sin, what did Adam do? Adam blames the only two people he knows. The woman you gave me. He declares, I'm the victim here. But this is our default based on our sin nature. See how quickly we go there? Listen to this carefully. Experiences don't make us, but they reveal what's in us. Part of the reason why certain people annoy us the way they do is because it's offensive what they reveal about us. Did you hear what I said? Part of the reason why certain people annoy us the way they do is because it's offensive what they reveal about us. People and circumstances can only reveal what's already in us. So let's stay connected to the heart of God and stand firm on the foundation of his love for us. Number four, kindness is richly rewarded. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I just want to read real quickly Matthew 25, 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him. Lord, the righteous will answer. That's key. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous, those who walk in kindness, those who walk in mercy and grace and faithfulness to eternal life. As I was putting this together, I was thinking, for many of us, the experience of kindness that we've had is somewhat measured based upon our life. In other words, you know, Sean and I have been through numerous natural disasters together. We've, been, we've had our house flooded out in the great flood of 93 when we lived in Kansas. We've been through earthquakes in Seattle, blizzards in Wisconsin. We've seen tornadoes in Kansas. We've been through hurricanes here in Florida. And we've seen the church rally and the kindness of the church truly lived out. But that was just a season of our life, a very quick season. So I quickly thought about my buddy Damien, and I've asked him to come up here real quick. Many of you know Damien. Don't you appreciate Damien, those of you that know him? 
Yeah, he's just being kind. I've known Damien now for four and a half years since I've been here at Calvary. Damien, for 10 plus years, has lived the life of being homeless and has seen from a very different perspective than many of us have seen the demonstration of kindness. And so, Damien, when you were homeless and still, you're not homeless anymore, but his driver's license is the church address. That's how much we care. But, but Damien, you saw the spectrum of kindness. You saw folks that were kind because they felt obligated, and you saw true kindness, which is they, they valued you and meant something. What would you say the percentages of, of that would be? How many people actually truly cared? I would say 5%. 5% of people you felt genuinely cared about you. Yes. So explain that to us. Because I'm sure people came and offered you food. People came and offered you, you know, a blanket and then walked away and maybe felt better about themselves. But how did that leave you as someone who was homeless and someone who needed just someone to care? Um, I would say that the most connecting thing that you could ever do for anyone, which we all long for, is to communicate spend time with somebody. That's what we all long for because my belief is that you're born with a hole in your heart and the Lord's the only one that can fill it. Right. And that's what we're always looking for. And he communicates relationship. I can find a way to find food for myself. I can't make you spend time with me. That's what we all long for. And that's what a lot of the homeless need. They just want to be heard. They just want to know, there's, you know that somebody cares enough and is kind enough to hear their story. They may just need a, a, an encouragement. They may just need to hear your story after they've told their story to help them do better. You know, you can feed me, so what? I can find food, everybody can find food, everybody can go get food, but I can't get what you can give me that the Lord has blessed you with is your story or your experience to make me feel a lot better about my life and want to do better. I came here a little over two years ago and I just decided that I need to get my life right, life right with Christ and the moment that I started coming here seven years ago I felt nothing but God's presence here and it was all through the act of kindness and this place has been nothing but abundantly kind to me. If I was them dealing with someone like me, I wouldn't have been so kind. <laughs> so they're very amazing here. God's love is here. And the act of kindness is not just giving something because they need something physically or whatever, or clothes or a blanket or whatever. That all disappears. Relationships is the act of kindness. Showing you know, your kindness by doing things that mean beyond that from your heart that'll reach that person. Calvary does that for me. That's great. Thank you. Thank you, Damien. Did you hear what he said? It's, it's pretty simple. We, first of all, I'm thankful for the ministry that we have here at Calvary of reaching out to our homeless community. You know, we feed numerous folks on Sunday mornings. We bring them in on Wednesdays as well. And, and Damien and Harry and Tara, we have three of them now who are actually on staff. Harry, would you wave? You see him in the yellow shirt over there? He does our, our landscaping. Doesn't it look great around this campus? Harry, thank you for what you do. 
And we truly see it changing lives and engaging. But as, as Damien said, it's, it's not just the act of handing him a sandwich and walking on your way. But demonstrating value like, I care. That's that kindness that we're talking about. Let's talk about real quickly the plan for kindness. Luke 10, 25 through 37. We've heard this story many times of the Good Samaritan. I want to walk us through this very quickly. Now, a lawyer stood up in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10. A lawyer stood up and tested him saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, of course, we know this was a trap. He had really no interest in what he had to say. But Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read? And of course, he's asking an expert in the law to recite the law. So of course, he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And this is where the story should end, right? But the story doesn't end there because the lawyer comes back and says, in a desire to justify himself, he said, well, Jesus, who is my neighbor? When it comes to God, we can only respond. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love him because he first, what? Loved us. When it comes to our neighbor, the initiative is up to us. We love our neighbor as ourselves. In response to the love of God, we will love our neighbor. This is why the lawyer asked the question. He wanted to look good. He doesn't say anything about loving God. His response was not, how can I love God more? He said, who is my neighbor? You can tell how much a person loves God by how much they love people. Because they go together. You, can't tell how a, you can tell how a person is getting along with God by how he's getting along with people. Did you hear that? You can tell how a person is getting along with God by how he is getting along with people. So who is my neighbor is now the most important part of the story. So now Jesus has to make a point. So he says, walk with me on a journey. In verse 30, Jesus answered, a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. Now this was quite a journey, about 17, 18 miles downhill, about over 3,500 feet and it was filled with caves and places for people to hide. And there was often crime on this road. And he says he stripped him of his clothes and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. So by chance, a priest came down that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place, looked at him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, and of course, everyone gasps because these were Jews and Samaritans were despised. He says, why do you have to ruin the story with a Samaritan? As he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Then he set him on his donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and I will repay you whatever else you spend when I return. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him or fell among the thieves? That was Jesus' question. But guess what he did? He turned the question around. Because remember what the lawyer asked? He said, who is my neighbor? But leave it to Jesus to take the story and twist it. Because Jesus said, which of these three, Jesus says, he makes it personal. Is it people who look just like you? Jesus chose to use a priest or the Levi. Or the one that you despise, the Samaritan. 
He didn't say just a couple of nice people walking down a road. He puts it in the language that an expert in the law could mostly, most closely identify with. If the neighbor was the man in the road, he would have been justified. Simply starting some type of benevolent social program would fix that issue. He could have started a program to fight crime along this route, but it wasn't about that. And of course, the lawyer responded and replied in verse 37, the one who showed mercy on him. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan. Isn't it interesting that his neighbor ended up being the most despised person in the story? Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Once again, you set us back on the right track. What you see is determined by what you are. That's why Jesus turned the question around. Who was the neighbor? The neighbor was the Samaritan because he saw a neighbor. What you are is determined by what you see. So this isn't about who your neighbor is. It's about whether or not you are a neighbor. It's about am I a neighbor who loves in an unqualified way. The neighbor for the lawyer was the Samaritan. The neighbor for the Samaritan was the injured man on the side of the road. So the question today is, who is your neighbor? So in closing, let's look at this. Number one, open our eyes. Luke 10, 33, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. It's not just seeing the need, you must do something. Because the priest and the Levite both saw him, and it's the same word, saw. What you do is depend on what you see. The Samaritan saw a man in desperate need. And what he did was based on what he saw because he saw his neighbor. Number two, open our hearts. Luke 10, 34, and he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Ministry is going to get messy. Oftentimes, people in need are in a place that will cause us to be uncomfortable. The Samaritan got, probably got bloody. He most likely tore up his own clothes to make the bandages. So let's put aside personal comfort and convenience and choose to be kind. Number three, open our hands. It's time for us to participate. He brought him to in. He took care of him, spent the night with him, gave him funds and resources to allow him to stay there for a couple months. And in fact, said, keep a running tab. Whatever you need, I will repay. So get involved in participating in what God is doing. This isn't about you creating opportunities. This isn't about you sitting here thinking, okay, how can I be, how can I create a, an opportunity for kindness? This is about you being obedient and seeing and responding to the need that already exists. Because nothing on your agenda is reason enough to ignore the voice of God, even when he tells you to stop and help. Even Jesus realized this when he said that he did not come to be served, but to serve. The master never sets the agenda. The servant never sets the agenda. The master does. Did you catch that? The servant never sets the agenda. The master does. The, servants, the servant must be so alert to what the master is doing that whenever the master begins to move in a direction, the servant quickly joins him. So by watching today for God's opportunities for us to show kindness, let's keep our eyes open, our ears open, our hearts open, and let's respond with obedience and love.